It is Wednesday morning, 9 o'clock. Thanks to Gareth and the gang back again tomorrow. Hey, it's frankly speaking, one hour of Rore Sang, Shavalala and Andrew Levy. Hey, Rore. We need to just uh, let everybody know this is, frankly speaking, in spite of uh, the non-quieto start that we had this morning. I know, I'm sorry about that. Eish. It's disappointing, isn't it? It's disappointing, man. <laughs> we're supposed to, we're supposed to like, you know, just groove, get down. We see Double HP is in studio. We should have started with a Double HP song. Yeah, no, Double HP, he should just come rap for us, I think. That's he what should we just should like do. spit something on the mic or something. He's bringing his, his, he's delivering t-shirts to, to, to everybody. They oh, say, yeah, I, I wanna, love black people. I like that t-shirt. Hey, Double HP, I want a t-shirt like that. That'd be good. And he's putting on cream. Look at that. Oh. He's putting on cream like, all right, so let's get in studio and let's talk about uh, today. Frankly speaking, how susceptible is South Africa to uh, terrorist attacks? Uh, it's a jam-packed show. Uh, fantastic guest, somebody from state security who's going to come and tell us exactly how susceptible we are. We're expecting mm-hmm. a lot of spin on that one. Uh, we've got uh, somebody who was at who was in Brussels uh, who will share a bit about what's going on there. We've got somebody from Kenya uh, who can tell us a little bit a year from a year since the Garissa attacks uh, what's been happening there how ready were they when it happened and 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 how did they feel um when it when it when it happened um and then we speak to security expert as well who has uh, uh raised the alarm about lone wolf attacks so we we when we think terrorists we're thinking radical islam but uh, we've got our own issues here in south africa with the racism and so on What's to say that we won't have a lone wolf uh, motivated by a racist agenda deciding to bomb everything up? Mm, I 100% agree. I think we, we need to redefine what uh, radicalism is and what it looks like because I think we could get blindsided very, very quickly. Let's get into into the show. I mean, Rory, firstly, your thoughts. Um, do you think that South Africa is susceptible to it? I think no one is. is no one is. Uh, We're not even on the radar. No, no, no. I think We're not a blimp. I think everybody is susceptible. Man, this is this is so terrorism. The, the thing about it is, it's a network. If you think about networks, the way that bacteria form and the way that bacteria replicate, um, you, you might you might know how to start it, but you don't know where it's going to end up. So, for whatever reasons, we could we could end up being on the radar without even planning for it. Right? Mm. Uh, it just takes one thing, one person. Uh, we were just recently the U.S. was put on high alert about mm-hmm. South African in South African uh, U.S. Interest in South U.S. Africa. interest in South yeah. Africa uh, that were that were at risk for terrorist attacks. So this thing could happen uh, in South Africa as well. So I think we're 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 at big risk. You? Yeah, I think I think we're definitely at risk. Um, I was in Kenya last week, as I was saying, and and it was really fascinating to see the the risks and uh, what people have put in place uh, one year after Garissa. Um, and Kenya is a very chilled country. The people yeah, are super very, friendly, yeah. super happy. Oh, yeah. If it can happen to them, trust me, it can happen here. Let's let's talk to our first guest, uh, CBS African correspondent Deborah Patzer. She's on the line from uh, London. She uh, was in Brussels uh, just a, a day ago. Deborah, good morning to you. Thank you so much for joining us. Good morning. Tell us a little bit about um, these these Brussels attacks and what you know a, a country um, like Brussels. I mean, you know, Brussels being such a small place in Belgium, Belgium not even being on the European map. How susceptible was this country to to these terror attacks? 
Well, Belgium may be small, but remember it's part of Europe. The EU is there, the European Union. So it's a symbolic center of Europe, if you like. Um, the other thing about Belgium is that it's a very easily accessible country, as are many countries. Because of the, the lack of borders and the fact that you have this big European Union, it's very easy to move freely, say, between France and Brussels. Um, and if you, you know, have sinister motives, uh, you can abuse that kind of system for your own nefarious ends. So I think that's the first thing to look at. The second thing is that Belgium is also a country that has a significant Muslim population. Um, for many, many years, they've um, had immigrants from places like Morocco and other Muslim countries. But the problem is that over the last two decades, um, whilst these people are Belgian, they've lived there 10, 20, 30 years, the children are born there, just the same as they get in France, they haven't been integrated properly in society. They feel disconnected, disaffected. Belgium, as many people have written about, is a failed state. You have different nationalities, different languages, and a very little sense of unification. The other problem in Belgium, which is obviously one that um, terrorist organizations exploit, is that you have very, very poor intelligence services. Nobody talks to anybody. And what you're seeing with a group like ISIS, for example, is that they are recruiting from criminals and gangsters. So they go to the jails, somebody's there for drugs or, you know, for other petty crimes, and they then say, look, it's actually not your fault, it's the society, you can belong to something bigger, more glorious, and then suddenly you have, you know, these gangster jihadists. One minute they're gangsters, the next minute they're jihadists wearing suicide vests. But the critical thing is that they are able to use their criminal networks and underground to move very freely. But the problem is that you don't have crime-fighting agencies talking to counter-terrorism units. So they slip between the two when they need to and evade police. For example, Salah Abdeslam, one of the key leaders in the Paris attackers of Belgian origin, was able to hide within plain sight of the Brussels police for four months before he was captured last week. And that, of course, people believe triggered the Brussels bombing because he was part, perhaps, of that cell is the suspicion that was planning to attack the airport. So you have a very complicated it's very different from, from South Africa. You know, you were talking at the beginning, is South Africa susceptible? Nowhere is safe, but South Africa is a very, very different place. We don't have that kind of threat, although perhaps the similarity is that we have a very useless intelligence service at the moment, or rather one that's been deployed by President Jacob Zuma to spy on his enemies rather than actually to do their proper job. Deborah, you, you, you mentioned that uh, we are not as susceptible, uh, uh, but some of the issues that you raised just seem to be very similar to what, to, to what we're experiencing in South Africa. The symbolic center, Belgium is a symbolic center of Europe. Of course, we know that South Africa is seen as, uh, as, as the, let's call it the symbolic center of Africa, economic center of Africa in many ways. Although ISIS doesn't have, let's call it beef with, uh, with, with Africa as such, but uh, it certainly would be a big hit if, if South Africa was to be hit, particularly because that's mostly where Western interests sit on the African continent. Uh, easy to move freely. We, uh, our porous borders are, are, are something we know we know a lot about. Um, significant Muslim population. Uh, we've got a significant Muslim population, but we also have uh, a significant populations of other people that might not necessarily be Muslim, uh, that might have radical mm-hmm. thoughts, uh, uh, you know, radical Afrikaners. Uh, we've, we've heard a lot about them. We've certainly 
heard uh, in recent times about just uh, African ra- radicalism as well, if there's such a thing. Um, immigration um, is also an issue. Uh, we, we've got we've got uh, we've got the xenophobic attacks, for example. That just yesterday there was a flare up in Gatlehong. Uh, you said failed state, uh, a number of different populations that are not integrated into one, and increasingly once get one gets the sense in South Africa that we might be uh, a divided people that are, are failing to integrate. Poor intelligence services, you've already spoken about that. Why wouldn't these things um, and these similarities uh, lead to us being at, at, at a level that is as susceptible as Brussels or at least Belgium? I, I don't, um, you're almost answering your own question there, Rory. It's a long question. But, <laughs> but I, you know, I think the points that you raise are very, very good. <laughs> I didn't say it wasn't susceptible. I said it's not as susceptible. And I would certainly stick by that. Remember, you don't have ISIS necessarily operating in um, parts of Africa where we are close to. The only organization that's affiliated to ISIS, which is close to us, and even then it's not that close, is Boko Haram, which is in Nigeria. Um, Al-Shabaab is an Al-Qaeda-affiliated organization. But both of them are equally dangerous, equally lethal, and both of them are looking to do, you know, big headlines, things that are going to capture the headlines, spread fear, spread horror, spread terror. So absolutely, from that point of view, hitting somewhere like South Africa would certainly make that kind of headline. You think of Garissa, it happened a year ago over Easter, um, over 150 people killed on the campus. It was a huge story, but it didn't make the kind of news say that um, the Paris attacks or the um, uh, Brussels bombings did. So absolutely, I mean, I think from that point of view and many of the other issues that you've raised, it's very easy to operate. But it's also a good place for terrorist souls to move money through, to, for example, um, use technology and Internet. So, you know, if you start attacking a place like that, then maybe you can't operate as freely mm. in terms of moving things around. So it's balances, and, and who knows what goes on in the mind of people who want to blow things up. You know, they are going to be looking for good PR, um, but, it's, but it's not as easy as one thinks. Further up in Africa, on the rest of the continent, you have al-Qaeda-affiliated organizations like al-Qaeda in the Islamic Maghreb and ACAP, al-Qaeda in the Arabian Peninsula, these are the groups that are working uh, together to attack these big luxury hotels where foreigners go. And all of this creates a very, very unstable climate. South Africa is not immune to that, and we would be foolish to think otherwise. And that is my concern, is that our intelligence agencies are simply not focusing on this. They have absolutely no idea um, in terms of what's going on. When you speak to experts in South Africa, they will concern this kind of thing. So, sure. One needs to look, but there are very different circumstances. We don't have an alienated, disaffected Muslim population that is not integrated into South African society. And when you go to a place like Belgium or you go to a place like France, you see the cracks and the fissures very, very deeply. Our cracks are along racial lines. Um, and that's not to say that something couldn't happen around there, but then it becomes a different issue. But either way, one can't just assume that one's an isolated country that can escape this kind of thing. Deborah, uh, before we let you go, very quickly, what is the feeling, you were in Brussels just yesterday, what, what is the feeling amongst Belgian people uh, in Brussels? Uh, you know, are they, are they hugely concerned? Is, is, it, is there uh, a feeling of anxiety? Give us a sense of, of how the, the population has, has taken to these uh, recent attacks. Mm. I think it's a definitely a feeling of anxiety, because think about this. 
they'd known, they put Brussels on high alert four months ago that something like this was possible. They were warned. Turkey actually warned them about the people that committed the attack. They had intelligence. They did not act on it because nobody talks to anybody in the community, it seems, in Belgium. But in addition to that, you could not know where people like this are operating. For example, one of the cells was operating in a district known as Scarbeck. It's a mixed neighborhood, affluent and poor, Muslim, and many other diverse groups. So it's not a particularly Muslim, you know, sort of, as they call the Molenbeek area, a jihadist incubator and all those ridiculous terms that the media comes up with. These people operated in an apartment. It was their bomb-making factory. The landlord saw something suspicious going on when chemicals leaked through the roof onto a flat below. But nobody reported it to the police because nobody thought it was, you know, they thought it was odd, but they didn't suspect that these were terrorists brewing the most deadly bomb known to humankind, which is nicknamed the Mother of Satan, that was going to blow up a Brussels airport. And that's the point. It could be in a cell next door. And because people aren't aware and because the intelligence is so poor in that country, I think that is the anxiety that nobody is safe, including Muslims who are saying to me, we're not safe. You know, if there's a terrorist brewing a bomb next door, we're the ones who are also going to blow up with them. So in addition to anxiety, there's anger, anger that the government has not adequately protected them. Fascinating stuff, Deborah. We're going to have to let you go there. Thank you so much for joining us. That was Deborah Putter, CBS Africa correspondent, joining us on the line from London. Uh, scary, man. Yeah. She so, raises so many points that freak me out about South Africa. But that's the thing. You, you see that no one, no one, no one thought, oh, okay, there's chemicals leaking through the roof. Oh, well, that happens every day, right? Mm. So it's things that you, you wouldn't, you wouldn't, wouldn't cause you to, to, to say, flip, this could be a terrorist attack. Right, this could be a terrorist attack in the making. It's everyday things. Life was going on as normal. They were complacent. They had intelligence. They were not using it. And the next thing you know, the attacks happen. I feel like we are so complacent in this country because if you had to say to me, realistically, honestly, Andrew, do you believe that there's going to be a terror attack in South Africa? I would be laughing at you. Yeah, I really would. I mean, I'd be like, please, man, who would come and attack this country? We've got so many problems as it is. But know? isn't it interesting that our problems are exactly what's, what's protecting us by the sounds of things? It sounds uh, like it, yeah. The fact that the terrorists are using our networks means they're not going to bomb those networks. It's an odd, an odd, an, a contradiction. Maybe we uh, will be thanking Jacob Zuma at some stage <laughs> in the near future. <laughs> right, on the line now is Brian Joroge. He's from uh, Kenya. He's a journalist uh, with the daily uh, Kenyan National News. Um, he is speaking to us a little bit One year after Garissa happened What is Kenya doing? How are they feeling? What's the general vibe? Uh, it's, you know, like being there, as I said last week Fascinating to see how people are just getting on with things But huge amounts of security in malls, in uh, in uh, airports Anywhere you go that's public There is a whole bunch of stuff going on uh, So Brian from the Nation Media Group in Kenya Good morning to you Thank you so much for joining us Thanks for having me. Rory's got an interesting point here about Kenya saying, you know, w- was Kenya ever expecting to be the the scene of a terrorist movement? Before all this stuff happened, of course, the Westgate Mall and the Garissa, were Kenyans even aware that there was uh, terrorist movements happening in their country? 
Uh, no, no, not not many people except uh, for the authorities were aware. So uh, only after the major incident occurred that uh, people uh, understood the, the, the monster that they were dealing with, uh, that is terrorism. And so it grew, it grew uh, in in leaps and bounds, and, and and people began understanding the, the real threat. Uh, Brian, how do we? How how was or what was the experience like for Kenyans after those attacks? Uh, uh, one day everything was normal and and terrorism was just something you read about, uh, and and it mostly happened in the United States and in the Middle East, and then all of a sudden it's happening here in your country. What were the major changes that happened? How did people take them? Yes. Uh, initially, it's a very uh, frightening experience where, where you know uh, you could be on, on your way, say, in a bank or even on the street, and then uh, uh, an incident happens. Yeah? So initially, it's a very frightening experience. Uh, but uh, with time, you, you have you learn that you have to be resilient, yeah? and so you are able to deal uh, with the heavy presence of security. And, and you grow bolder, you no longer uh, fear doing uh, your, your own stuff. Uh, Brian, what were some of what were some of the weaknesses in your state security uh, uh, infrastructure that were exploited by the terrorists um, in order to in order to to carry the attacks out? Authorities uh, would later come to admit eh, that. Uh, there are loopholes in the intelligence sharing system. So that was a main uh, weakness. They were not able to connect the dots, such that uh, the events uh, would be planned in, in the terrorists and implemented uh, without their knowledge. But, but up to now, things have changed, and, and the level of the attacks has also gone down. Brian, I'm interested to understand, you know, currently, one year after Garissa, um, the feeling that you have as a Kenyan, do you feel that the Kenyan government is, is on top of this? Do you feel safe now? Uh, or is there still this kind of feeling of, we don't know when the next thing is going to happen? No, no, no. Things have changed, and, and more and more Kenyans actually feel safe. In fact, we emphasized uh, with the Belgian victims because we saw, uh, for instance, some of the stop gas measures, like having guards uh, at the entry level near port, some of those things were ignored, and here locally, those are things that are not ignored, even in supermarkets and malls. So I, I think, and I, I hope I speak for a majority of Kenyans, most, most of them feel safe now. All right, Brian, we're going to have to let you go there. The line is unfortunately not as great as, as we'd like it. Uh, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Uh, that was Brian Njoroge from, uh, from Kenya, from Nairobi, a journalist speaking about one year after Garissa, how it feels. Unfortunately, the line wasn't unbelievably great there. Um, but it must be a quite a scary experience uh, being in Nairobi. I mean, even when I was there, I was, I was a little freaked out. You know, like wherever you stop, there's people. I mean, to get into the airport, I had to go through four security stops. Hmm. Um, they did a body scan, a car scan, a luggage, two luggage scans. Um, 
I mean, when you get into the airport, you have to, you, you sometimes have to get out of the yeah, car. Yeah, I have to get out of the car, go, go to a body scan, and, and then, then come the car, back into the car. Yeah, the car finds you on the other side, yeah, yeah. they do the That's whole exactly thing. That's exactly what it's, happens. It's, it's really, so, so they've definitely stepped up. And now the interesting thing is, uh, uh, and this might have aggravated it, is that that system that you see when you go into the airport, that system that you see when you go into the airport is actually was 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 installed by a, a foreign country. I can't remember which country it is. Uh, when I was there speaking to my taxi driver, it was like, no, no, this was installed for us by by this other country. I forget a European country. Uh, so it, it it sounds like the more help that you take from outside, uh, it aggravates the situation because you're seen as being increasingly an enemy of the state, an enemy of the cause uh, that's being driven. Uh, the the other interesting thing is he speaks about these loopholes. In the in the intelligence system, uh, incre- it, it sounds like intelligence is just a critical part of keeping the security of the country intact. Um, and it will be interesting to speak to somebody as we we're about to on 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 how does how does intelligence factor and how does it work uh, in real terms? How do we source our information and how do we make sure that uh, we, we're foiling these things? How many of these things are foiled that we don't even yeah, know exactly, about? Exactly. Right? Yeah. I mean, I would love to know the figure mm. after the fact. Yeah. Exactly. Right. <laughs> I like. To know afterwards that we've been done. Doing yeah, exactly, a job exactly. We never really hear that. Oh no, this has been foiled. This has been foiled. Uh, we, we we seldom hear it. But I wonder how many of those are being foiled and 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 what the state spooks are doing to make sure that we're safe. All right, let's speak to. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if you'd take kindly to be known as a state spook, but let's speak to Brian Dube. He is uh, he's on the line from I think Johannesburg. He's the head of communications at the State Security Agency. Brian, thank you so much for joining us. Good morning to you. Hi, good morning, and thank you for having me. Uh, we're talking terrorism in South Africa, how susceptible we are here on Frankly Speaking. We've sp- spoken to uh, some journalists uh, in Africa as well as in Brussels. Uh, your thoughts as to how ready or how pre-prepared are we against terrorism attacks in South Africa? Well, the first thing to, to, to admit and to realize is that uh, no country in the world is immune from uh, from terrorism because indeed here we are dealing with a global phenomena. It knows no boundaries and we've seen what has happened in the world. I mean, the latest um, uh, incidents show that itself. We believe that South Africa, uh, relatively speaking, we uh, the information we have at our disposal is that uh, we, at this stage we do not appear to be a target of any terrorist attack but it does not mean that we must therefore fold arms and say we, we, are, we are safe. They must continue to be vigilant in the country, and we believe that in an event of, uh, of, of any attack uh, befalling us, that uh, our, the totality of our security services will be able to deal with this, uh, any eventuality. And we say this because uh, of the work that we, we have done and we continue to do in terms of our planning, and also liaising with other uh, you know, structures that are there in terms of the intelligence community because we have to share information with each other. We have to share notes and, and, and basically uh, learn from each other in terms of what has happened in the world. And we believe, therefore, that having all of this, uh, we believe we should be in a position to deal with anything eventually. Brian, you you mentioned working with other structures and and the sharing of information. We've just spoken to somebody who is in Belgium or was in Belgium, and uh, she indicated that uh, uh, what might have led or, or what what contributed to the attacks there was a weak intelligence system. We just spoke to somebody in Kenya who said there are a lot of loopholes in the intelligence system there. Uh, the question then to to you is: um, 
in South Africa, what, what, how, how do we, how, how, what confidence can you give to the South African public that our intelligence system uh, can withstand uh, terror threats? Well, we are, we are the first to, to, to say that uh, our, 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 our intelligence systems in, in this case are not, uh, are not without any fault. I mean, uh, we, do, we, we are aware of, of certain kinds that exist in our, in our system, but notwithstanding that, we believe that uh, we should be able to be in a position to assure the public after that uh, we will do everything in our power to ensure that we can protect this country. When we speak of uh, sharing information, it's a very important element. Because if you go back, in, in back to, to the uh, even to the American uh, experience of 9/11, uh, much of the of, of, of what happened there uh, boils down to coordination in terms of intelligence. Because if we exist as intelligence community in the country and we don't share information amongst ourselves, that can itself contribute. Uh, to the weakness of the system, and we are saying therefore that our coordination and our uh, level of sharing information within ourselves in the first instance, and also with our partners in, in, in the southern region of, of, of the continent, as well as in the in the AU structures that they, that deal with the such issues of terrorism, all the way to the UN uh, to UN structures that focus on terrorism and sharing information about civil movements and threats that are there. We think that that is an important element of strengthening the system. Brian, uh, just give us an idea. We we speak in very high level terms around intelligence system, the sharing of information. But on a day to day basis, what does that look like? I'm obviously uh, I'm obviously asking a person who deals in secrets to to divulge secrets or to, the workings of a secret system. But uh, if you were to to give us a window into how is this information sourced, who is it sourced from, how is it analyzed? Let's take okay. Let's take a, a, an example. It's not not a secret. It's, it's out there. Mm. The United Nations um, office uh, that deals with terrorism on an on a on a monthly basis will update the list of uh, people that are selected as, as, as high risk, uh, people that are selected as threat, uh, depending on the on their history of involvement of movement and uh, on work that has been done to profile such individuals. This list gets shared with a member state. Um, and of course, South Africa is one of such member states, and we will receive such a list. And within our intelligence community, between ourselves, the civilian intelligence, the crime intelligence, and defense intelligence, and other and other law enforcement agencies, we will then circulate this list, share this list, and ensure that uh, in terms of people movement uh, throughout uh, our airports, for instance, our our our, our, our ports of, of entry uh, borders, and so on, uh, and and other systems in terms of financial. Systems in terms of movement of funds and so on to the financial intention center, that such people are flagged as well. So, even in events they will try to do anything in this country in terms of coordination, planning, uh, or recruiting, we will be able to uh, be on the on the lookout and, and, and put the stop to that. That's a simple example, uh, if I can give you, if I can share with you, listeners, uh, in terms of how we would do our work. Of course, there's a lot more work that we do. Much of it is not meant to the public domain. For the very reason that uh, if such was to happen, it will weaken, it will compromise, it will undermine the very work we're trying to do to try and be a step uh, or two uh, ahead of those who are planning. Because here we are dealing with very sophisticated policies, people that are very sophisticated, that are using the latest uh, systems in terms of uh, information sharing and, and cuts and so on. And our is to ensure that uh, we try and do uh, uh, whatever we can do. 
to be ahead of them and, and to try and, and, and prevent these things from happening. So it, it is easier to deal with preventing than to deal with the actual consequences that, that might have happened. Brian, um, a lot of a lot of rumours circling in South Africa at the moment around the idea that South Africa is safe because a lot of money that is used by these terrorist groups, Al Shabaab, Boko Haram, um, even Al Qaeda and ISIS, is actually run through South Africa. Any kind of uh, understanding or, or comment on those claims? Well, South Africa's financial system is very advanced; it's one of the best in the world. I mean, um and, and so we take comfort from the fact that uh, we are able to work together with the banking sector and financial services as, as, as a whole to try and 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 and, and, and flag any uh, untoward uh, movement of funds or any attempts by any of these organized groupings to use South Africa as a launching pad and to use South Africa as a planning, you know, and, and the conduit for movement of funds. Yes, we've had, had such reports in the past. Uh, up to so far, our work that we've done with uh, working together with the financial sector has not received any evidence of that that's happening. Um, you recall recently that there's been a lot, amount, a huge amount of funds that have been uh, constructed uh, via a port of entry in uh, in Pumalanga, for instance, with the border there. In the oil country itself, there's an ongoing work which uh, we are working together with the Hawks to try and, and, and chase back and unravel exactly. What was that fund being being, uh, being moved from and so on? But as, as things stand now, there's been no evidence to suggest that South Africa is being used uh, for financial planning linked to any of these characters that we've seen in the world. Brian, uh, just we never hear about it, right? So, we, we, so as South Africans, we've almost become desensitized to uh, terror threats and so on. Uh, are you able to share at what rate are you guys foiling um, uh, terrorist threats? Um, uh, how often do these come up, and, and 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 you know how successful are you? The fact that we're not hearing anything about it and that nothing is happening, I imagine, is not by accident. It's because of the hard work of of the men and women uh, that work for your agencies. At what what rate? Are we are we are we blocking these threats? Well, it's very difficult really to 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 to, to provide a detailed account of of the range that we're doing. But safe to say, indeed, uh, I think a lot of work that, that happens happens behind the scenes, so to speak. But we do work a lot with the law enforcement agencies. Because our our primary function as a federal agency is to be able to 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 provide intelligence that that's passed on. Uh, to the police, for instance, to then act because we do, we do not have the power to arrest, to effect arrest, for instance. And so a lot of the work that we do uh, gets passed on to the police. Then the police will then move in and effect necessary arrest and so on. But from time to time, we do uh, ourselves um, uh, do our work. For instance, we recall uh, the much publicized uh, uh, incident of that Cape Town girl that we were able to mm. to stop from from from. There was there, there was just one uh, of of a uh, uh, of, of such incidents that we were able to uh, you know uh, act on as, as it were. But a lot of the work that we do, as I say, gets passed on because we work together uh, as a specific cluster uh, in parallel with the police that then gets to effect these arrests that uh, we, would, uh, we, would, we, would, we would. But I must say, at this stage, we are seeing a lot of. Um, Online activity in terms of uh, efforts to recruit um, individuals to join in the main ISIS. Um, uh, uh, these efforts, of course, are it's a global trend that they are, they are using 
the online uh, social media in particular to try and you know radicalize people to try and, and, and feed them their their propaganda their way of thinking with a view of eventually and getting them to be hooked to then travel to to the areas where they are FA, uh, active on the ground to serve various missions and so on. And so a lot of that work we do see uh, online activities. And from time to time uh, we, we do engage with, engage with local communities where we see this thing coming up uh, to say, please be guarded. And of course, asking parents in the main to say, whilst, whilst we are, uh, uh, realize that children have a right to privacy and so on and so on, we think it's important for parents to come closer to try and, uh, and supervise and such without, of course, violating their rights of privacy, but supervise and to know who they are chatting with online and their activity so that we can be able to create this awareness to say people must not engage in these activities, people must not engage in them, um, mustn't respond to emails that they don't know where they come from, mustn't respond to SMSs telling them that they've won money, lotto, when they know they've not uh, entered any competition. So these are such some of the Brian, if I might, uh, apologies for interrupting or interjecting. We're just running out of time here. But if I might uh, ask Rory's question in, in a different way, have there been any threats in the last 12 months against South Africa from terrorist groups? Well, um Let's say, as I was saying, I think the Indian main, what we are seeing, the, 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 the major threat we are seeing we've seen in the last 12 months has been on the online recruitment of people to join uh, ISIS in the main. There has not been, we've not seen any other uh, major threat in terms of, uh, um, you know, uh, attacks as, as it were. Uh, but of course, uh, we remain vigilant, we remain uh, committed to try and, 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 and continue down back as I was saying earlier on, because that is where we believe the strength of, of the work lies in terms of sharing information, working with other intelligence uh, around the world to, to, to be able to monitor the movement of those who reflect as, 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 as terrorists uh, and uh, people of, of, of threat so that we can prevent uh, you know, any eventuality as well. A lot of criticism, Brian, just around um, state security and the resources of state security used um, to promote or to protect uh, the the number one in charge at the moment, President Jacob Zuma. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Are the state security resources being misused at the moment? Well, we, we, this, this uh, criticism is not new. Uh, we have seen such. It, I mean, it, uh, I mean, in the door of democracy, we we had a, a, a similar criticism that uh, uh, there would be some misuse. We we've always maintained, and we always maintain now that uh, in the event that there are any concerns about misuse of of state resources for political or personal gains or whatever the case is, we have avenues that people can approach so that we can probe those and get to the bottom of them so that we can. Then begin to talk in, um, we don't talk just on, on rumors, but we talk on facts and established facts, and we can then be able to use the mechanisms that are there, that our laws and our constitution provide of oversight, of taking action against those who uh, would issue uh, any of the resources of the state for any, uh, uh, you know, personal or political things, because that is, of course, against the law. So I think uh, from, from that point of view, we are, we, are, we are very much, uh, would would be content if such uh, rumors persist, but, but more than content, we would, we would always approach 
uh, rather uh, you approach those who make such statements they come forward uh, approach the offices that are, have been tasked with this responsibility to investigate these things so we can get to the bottom of it and deal with what is it that exactly is happening because we believe that the majority of the people who work in these are committed men and women who sacrifice a lot of their lives daily to to ensure that uh, we are safe and, and that our lives continue in the manner in which they should continue on a daily basis. Brian, when we speak about uh, terrorism, we, we generally tend to think of uh, radical Islam, but uh, there are, of course, right-wing elements and so on in this country, and we might at actually be at greater risk of those than of, of, of uh, radical Islam as a terrorist threat. Uh, to, to what extent, uh, uh, how, what picture can you paint of, of this threat in our country, and, and, and how, how, how are we doing on that? We've heard, of, for example, of training camps and so on, where, where young people are being taught to take up arms against the state and against uh, uh, different uh, sectors of the population. Uh, is this a real threat or are these just idle rumors? Well, we can say that uh, since the developed democracy, we had had that uh, threat from extremist groups within South Africa, as quite right point out. And there are a lot of work was done to try and neutralize these. And you do know of the attempts recently by, by Boremach and the uh, associated groups of trying to overthrow the government planting bombs everywhere and so on. And we believe that a lot of work was done to try and, and, and uh, neutralize that element of the threat that we've seen. Currently, there would be one or two uh, groups that, uh, of course, they have thought about which ourselves we are aware uh, and which we are monitoring because um, most of the people that we've engaged with and so on uh, would would come up and say, no, this is just a, these training camps that people have spoken about that us use air camps, it's about discipline and all those things. Uh, and of course, we, we, we acknowledge the people's right to exercise you know, association and to do, to do uh, these things that they think is important to grow and groom their young uh, people and so on. But to an extent that uh, it, it then such uh, ways to something else, we will be the first uh, to come in and, and, and ensure that we, we, we prevent uh, such from happening. And uh, without going to details, we are aware of certain uh, individuals and groupings which we are keeping an eye on. And uh, at this stage, we believe that it is still under control. Fantastic. Uh, that's Brian Dube. Thank you very much for joining us this morning. Brian Dube, spokesperson of the State Security Department. Uh, really insightful views there. Thank you very much for joining us, Brian. Do you believe him? Yeah, I believe him. Why, why shouldn't I believe him? Do you think that they're doing everything that they can? Do you think that they have a clue about what's happening? Well, have you... When lost, uh, when lost did something him. bomb in your, in your neighborhood? I mean... You think that's by... You think, you, <laughs> you think that's by accident? Listen, I'm not saying it's by accident, but I mean, just thinking about, like, the kind of intelligence that European unions have... And, I, you know, we spoke to Deborah about the fact that they don't talk to each other. So fair enough. But still, this idea that South Africa, I just feel we're so, 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 so wrapped up in our so own stuff. So I have stuff. no idea, right? I don't know. I'm not part of the intelligence system, right? So, but I think we as South Africans tend to get caught up in this thing of just undermining everything that we are. Yeah. Right and and maybe with this part we're getting right. We haven't yet had a terrorist incident happen, mm. whether from an external threat, an internal threat. It hasn't happened. So one assumes that uh, something's going something's right. going right, or we're not, or there's just no threats, which which I find difficult to believe. You know.
And of course, there's there's a real thing that you know you're playing. Maybe they're playing all of these things, right? So maybe it is a, a case of let's allow these guys to do what they need to do, so we stay, so we're on the right side of the, you know this this political uh, military complex that's going on in in, in the world. Uh, all sorts of things happen, and not all of them are above board. Not even from the countries we hold up as 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 mighty and dear. Well, let me tell you something. I think Asia is loving life right now. Hey? I mean, no one is thinking about doing any kind of radical stuff in in Asia. Well, it's fantastic. But they're always on high alert. I mean, Asia is always, if you think about China and what's happening in the South China Sea, if you think about North Korea, South Korea, uh, if you think about Indonesia and some of the things that have happened yeah, there. Yeah, but I mean, so I don't, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's, let's wrap this up. We've got a, one more guest, Nick Piper. Who, who's this guy? So Nick Piper is a security expert at Signal Risk, um, and they provide intelligence and support to mitigate security. Security risk in Africa. He wrote a very interesting article in the Business Day uh, where he spoke about lone wolf attacks as a real threat for South Africa. Uh, so, Nick Piper, good morning to you. Good morning, guys. Um, I've enjoyed the show so far. Thank you, Nick. Uh, you speak about lone wolf attacks, and uh, uh, Brian Dube, who we just spoke to now, uh, mentioned the fact that there are a lot of young people. We might not necessarily have terrorist cells operating in the way that we think about it um, in other countries, but there are definitely a lot of young people who are going online and 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 being being indoctrinated um, in in terrorist ideologies. And and you speak about that being a threat uh, because we might not necessarily see a coordinated attack, but certainly an individual who is radicalized enough could decide to go take uh, an automatic uh, a weapon and just shoot on people. And you say this is a real threat. Is that is that is that credible? Um, yeah, I do. I, when I say a real threat, I don't mean that it's imminent or that there's sort of an established um, risk of self-radicalized. But it's a staging lone wolf attack. What I mean is that it needs to be considered when we're having a conversation about terrorism in South Africa. What we've generally found is that all of the discourse revolves around discussing these big groups, Al-Qaeda, Al-Shabaab, um, IS, and what the risk they pose to the country is. But it's often neglected um, to mention the fact that um, a lone wolf attack is arguably as likely as a, uh, an attack by a big group. Yeah, Nick, uh, your your company Signal Risks assists organizations to keep their staff safe when they travel in Africa. Uh, so you probably have a, a sense, a, a deeper sense of this. Andrew just asked, we spoke to Brian Dube of State Security Agency, and, and Andrew just asked, do you believe him? You heard the interview, I, I imagine. Uh, do, do you believe uh, the things that he's saying? Are they are they effective or are we just a lucky country? Um. Uh, yeah, that's a bit of a loaded question, really. <laughs> <laughs> I'll try to address it as best and diplomatically as I can. <laughs> Don't um, be diplomatic. Uncensored. Cliff Central. Sure. All right. <laughs> um, there have been question marks posed about the State Security Agency in the past. Um, most recently, when there was a leak of, of certain reports um, about them and their, their capacity to, to pick up on possible threats to the country. Um so what I generally do as a doctor, take, a pinch of, take it with a pinch of salt approach. So I fall somewhere in the middle of, uh, uh, of a scale between not believing anything and having full faith in the agency. So mm. they certainly aren't as bad as you know they've been made out to be in the past, or at least in media, 
um, and that's been evident through these leaks. It's almost been a, um, although it's an indictment that these leaks get put out there in the first place, they do show some of the work that the agency does do. So they aren't as useless, but equally, um, <clears throat> by the same token, um, I think they could be bolstered and it may be a resource issue. Uh, it may be a, uh, what they're focusing on issue. But whatever the case, I, I think they could be a better organization, particularly considering the changing nature of, of terrorism in the world. Nick, your opinion on why Southern Africa has been relatively left alone in this whole terrorism you know, recolonization of the world. Uh, we've seen East Africa take a huge knock. We've seen West Africa take a huge knock. North Africa, uh, Egypt air, uh, just small indication of, of unrest in the north. Why is Southern Africa safe at the moment? Why has there been no infiltration of, of terrorist groups within Southern Africa? All right. But I don't want to deal with sort of the historical roots of how terrorist organizations form. I'm just going to take it from sort of our current context and look at where these allow and why these groups aren't operating in South Africa. Um, the first is that they, there is a presence of them and they, they are using South Africa to some degree. Um, although Mr. Dube um, uh, suggested that they're not, there's no evidence of them raising funds, there is sort of some talk that that is being done within South Africa, especially with um, Al-Shabaab. Um, we've got confirmation that they've used South African travel documents. Um, there's a range of individuals, including some fairly um, fairly big cases, yeah. sort of like the London uh, the, the London White bombing. Widow. And, she was on a South African passport, wasn't she? Yes, Samantha Luthwaite. She also, and this goes on to my next point, was harbored in South Africa for a while, um, allegedly in Mayfair in Johannesburg. So there's there's sort of three or four elements to how they use South Africa. Travel documents, raising funds, using it as a safe haven, um, recruiting, in this case particularly with IS. Um, so so using these areas does make it a bit of a case that they don't want to bite the hand that feeds them. Um, this was mentioned, I think, earlier in the show. Mm. Um, but it is a very credible theory. Um, staging an attack in South Africa would really refocus all the resources against these groups and the individuals that are being harbored by these groups in the country. Um, and that wouldn't be as valuable as it, as the current status quo as using these, these places. So that's sort of the first reason. The second is that South Africa has, has adopted in the last 20, 25 years a particularly neutral foreign policy, and even one that would be deemed to some extent favorable towards um, extremist organizations. And I speak particularly here in terms of Africa's stance uh, vis-a-vis Palestine. Mm. So this neutral foreign policy goes a long way towards safeguarding the country. Mm. Um, and then lastly, there is the aspect that um, our intelligence agencies do pick up on incidents. Um, when I say our intelligence agencies, I'm going to extend this also to the U.S. and Israel. Um, we've got a, a sizable Jewish population. We've got quite significant Israeli and Jewish interests in South Africa, as we do U.S., and these agencies really do dedicate a lot of resources to finding out what threats their nationals and their interests face in South Africa. So we've seen in the past um, foiled attacks or at least reports of foiled attacks against um, Jewish and U.S. interests. And, and these would have likely been picked up um, by, by a combination of all the security state apparatus. So um, it's, it's, it's basically for those reasons that, that South Africa hasn't, I think, um, had an attack. 
Nick, uh, we're running out of time, but uh, in your article in the Business Day, Lone Wolf Attacks a Real Threat uh, to South Africa, you mentioned that lone wolf assailants can be motivated by other causes besides Islamist extremism. One repeatedly cited motivation for lone wolf attacks is right-wing nationalism. Uh, to what extent uh, is, this, is, this, is this a threat in the South African context? Um, and uh, what, what is being done to, to, to keep it at bay? All right. Um, it is a threat, but not um, significant. So, um, so South Africa has a history of right-wing nationalism and right-wing extremism. We saw it um, probably most evident with the Burmach uh, trial. So we can't ignore the fact that there, there is uh, an undercurrent of this extremism within our society. Um, what we have to be aware of is that jump from sort of harboring extremist views to actually acting on extremist views. Um, what, and what's preventing them, Nick? If I can, if I can just interject, what, what do you think has prevented these these views from bubbling over into action all this time? I think it, it, it comes down to sort of what the result of the action would be. So, in the in the case of say for say for IS, um, if there was a, a, a lone wolf attack, it would ju- it would justify the goals or the means of the group, which is to um, so, so terror and uh, increase their, um, their, their PR. Whereas with the, with the right-wing nationalism, they don't necessarily harbor the same motivation scheme. They rather look for some degree of, of, of autonomy and rule within the, the geographical area that, they, that they're in. And I think at the moment, what's the, the case is that such an attack wouldn't, wouldn't in any uh, way, shape or form uh, realize this goal. So until there's more of a groundswell of this um, right-wing nationalism, an isolated attack wouldn't, wouldn't fit um, uh, the goals of the group, of the wider group, rather. Nick, uh, thank you so much for joining us uh, this morning, uh, talking to us a little bit about South Africa and if we're susceptible to a terrorist attack. You can check out his uh, article in the Business Day around lone wolf attacks. Appreciate your time. That was Nick Piper. He is a security expert at Signal Risk. Okay, we've heard from a whole bunch of people. That is one hour done, Rory. Just like that, finished and clear. I'm freaked out. I'm not gonna lie. I'm gonna. I'm thinking twice before using the Chow train again, for sure. <laughs> they are gonna take the Chow train uh, for lunch. You are, I'm yeah, you. yeah, smoking. You're smoking. But, and our airports. Uh, but then again, I'm not Jewish. Uh, I'm, what are you uh, talking about, Jewish? What is Jewish got to do with if, anything? I'm if, telling you. If, if these guys have to attack anyone, they're not coming after me first, right? Let no, me tell you something. They're, they're not seeing. <laughs> you see, this is the problem in South Africa. We're so focused on race, black, white. But they are not racial. seeing. No, they're not seeing any race. Let me tell you something. Mm. They are literally just gonna come. They're gonna put up bomb there and they're going to blow whoever's there the numbers are important nothing about race I guess, it, I guess it helps that you guys haven't given the land back I've got nothing to lose uh, <laughs> oh wow there's there's where we had this show right there <laughs> oh my god to be honest I think that we are we're in for a rough ride ahead um, it is not a safe uh, haven as some people might think and I think that we are very very ignorant when it comes to this be so, vigilant I think that's the important thing yeah, we can play a role be vigilant if you see, see something that's not right, uh, send it through to your cops, to your local police police officers, and, and, and get them to do something about it. It's, if you see a guy 
going onto a plane and he has a bomber jacket, you should probably alert someone. Like the one Andrew Levy is wearing today. Yeah, whatever. Have yourself a lovely day. It is, frankly speaking, 9 to 10 every Wednesday. You can catch the podcast on www.cliffcentral.com forward slash frankly speaking. We out of here. Have a good day. Ciao, ciao. Cliff Central Revolution. I've got something important to tell you. Cliffcentral.com.